Hi, Rebecca. It's Beatrice. Hi, Beatrice. It's Rebecca. How are you? I'm good. And how are you? I'm all right, thank you. What have you been up to? Well, um, I had a very busy week, um, but the the thing that's sort of most stuck in my mind is I spoke to a few students about ideas for thesis, oh. and um, several mentioned um, to, talking to their parents about something they were interested in that had sort of oh. happened in living memory. It actually wasn't. Yeah, it was. A, it came up in quite a few contexts. Someone spoke about their mother, who had been really into raves. Um, someone spoke about their father, who was a punk, and um, someone spoke about just parents and grandparents generally in in relation to some to folk dress. And um, it reminded me that when I was in Frankfurt, that I wanted to really speak to my mother about clothes as well, and maybe. Yeah. We, record something but I, I ran out of time I keep meaning to go through a massive pile of photographs and pick out some ones that I find interesting and and talk to her and I just always wonder why why we don't do that more in a way yeah it's interesting isn't it I mean I think it's like it goes against kind of trad academic ways of doing things but I mean, people have been promoting oral history since at least the 60s, like the Samuel Raphael School of Thought. And there's more and more being written about everyday dress, isn't there? Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's, I suppose it's it's finding a framework to do it that's appropriate for your audience. So if you're doing it as a dissertation or you're doing it, you know, do you know what I mean? It's like yes. sort of thinking, how do you do it so it doesn't just end up being very subjective? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was sort of thinking about sub subjectivity and how, whether there is, I guess there is a difference. There is quite a massive difference between talking to someone you know really well and being obsessed with something, which also might make you less That's subjective, true. I guess. Um, and, and I suppose also people are more comfortable about saying this comes from my personal interest in such and such, mm. rather than remaining distant. But I suppose, I mean... I think what I find really interesting with oral history is how how you get to a point of someone speaking naturally about mm. the subject. And when I did the course at the Institute of Historical Research, a lot of it was remaining silent. Yes. You know, I remember when I went there, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I have to learn how to frame questions and la la. And it was kind of the opposite. It was like how to get people to speak without prompting them to go in a particular direction without shaping what they say and just being comfortable with staying silent because most people will then start talking again yes to fill the silence and sort of being sort of certain that it's not you that does that as the interviewer it's really interesting sometimes because we have such a massive collection of oral history at the museum of london and um, i always work on this display which has some headphones so we always have to have something that works with a theme so I've been listening to quite a few um, histories recently and some of the early ones they don't do that at all they talk a lot <laughs> and they even start talking about themselves um, wow. I mean not all all of the early it's maybe nothing to do with the early ones or the later yeah. ones it's maybe particular particular people and it's it's quite interesting to hear that because um, yeah it's yeah like you say it's so not what you're supposed to be doing but it it also is so difficult. I haven't actually done that many interviews, maybe just four or five. Um, 
but not to even just go, mm, mm, which is, yeah. I think, my worst thing. Um, what I Who do. have you interviewed? Um, I've interviewed, I think the most interesting was a Ted, um, a Teddy boy. Oh, wow. Um, From and, London? Yes, um, he was called Ted. Uh, <laughs> That's good. And his wife, Rita, uh, and they, they'd been together since the 50s. And that was really, really interesting. But he was a he was a talker. You know, he really you didn't have to prompt very much. Um, and he could talk for for, our, you know, 10 minutes just about how wide his his trousers were at the bottom. And oh, what it's fantastic what fabrics there were, how it exactly it worked getting your suit. So in some ways that was that was easy, but still you know just nodding because you do need to give a little bit of encouragement but not say anything I, I do yes. find that really hard um and having two people that's also generally not such a good idea I think it worked quite well with them um but I've had that before where everyone was talking across each other yeah and also people prompt other people I think particularly in families it can be tricky because there can be the standardized version of a story which has evolved over many retellings and if you have more than one family member they might keep correcting it back to the version they like most or they remember most rather than the truest yeah that's version of the story that's so interesting these family myths i come across yes. that a lot recently someone brought a beautiful hand-painted 20s dress and in the family, it was known as the wedding dress of this particular um, woman. And she married in church and there's no way she wore that dress. That's just not, it just can't have been. Wow. Um, and they, they I, I mean, I might, I might be wrong, but they just didn't, at first really didn't want to believe me. Um, yeah. And that was, and I know that in our family, there are lots of, there are lots of myths. Um it's really, it's really fascinating. I remember, you remember when Alice and I used to um, date images for people like, oh, yes. really early, like when we were still at college or oh, just yes. after college. And I remember we did a whole big photo album for someone and she pretty much kind of got sick of us because we said that this image was a picture of a woman and she insisted it was a man mm. and it was it was a woman in a tailor made but you it was only sort of from the collar up and we were saying no because women started wearing those in the late 19th century and we explained and we showed other pictures but it so didn't fit with her notion of what this was and how it had been talked about in the family that she preferred to sort of reject us than reject than to reevaluate mm the image and I think that's really it's really it's really tricky and it's really um yeah it's just really hard to negotiate that because I suppose there's sort of different kinds of myths aren't there? because there's family ones which can be so strong mm -hmm. and even from within your own generation of family yes that are completely wrong but factually but mean something within the family that for the family it's more important the meaning than the fact mm -hmm. but then I think another thing is that particularly if you talk about an area that's so well trodden like say the 60s it's so filtered through you know tv programs and the idea of what the 60s was that it can be difficult for people not to, to kind of rewrite their yes. own experience via 
the sort of immediate representation of that era. Mm, yeah, definitely. Mm. It's quite an interesting thing. Um, I've I I have. I deal with quite a lot at work that sort of people come in and they give a little bit of family history and then I try and piece it together a bit more on ancestry and um, it's just odd sometimes to know more about all these other people's family yes, um, than yes. about than about your own um, and it oh, was, I hadn't thought of that yeah I bet it is and it was only quite recently that I thought I should look maybe a little bit at my own but that's maybe also an age thing people tend to start doing that at a certain age maybe <laughs> <laughs> but then you wrote that really nice article on your mother yeah when that, was that that was a while ago yeah that was a while ago it might have been like eight years or something but it, mm. it that was really fun to do um so we I picked out images that I liked and then I said um, I'm not sure I'm I said what I thought about them and I'm not sure I told her that but I think so and then she said what it what they meant to her um, and it was it was not totally different but obviously I didn't have the have the background um, and yeah and ever since then I thought I must I must do that again and I I just wish I had spoken more to my grandmother um, yes because she was really into clothes but I mean people don't have to be into clothes um but they just both happened to be my mother and my grandmother and so I wish I'd, I'd spoken to her more or listened to her more I know that's a common common thing that yeah, people say it's, no, it's, um, it's difficult and I think it's also doing it without people feeling like you're I don't know sort of pushing them towards the end of their life by catalog yeah that's true I think that's a really nice way of doing it of just saying what does this mean to you mm. because then you're not requiring a sort of historically accurate account which is terribly hard for anyone to give you're just saying how do you feel about it and what do you remember mm. and then letting someone speak mm. and it's interesting you know that you would you could then think how does this compare to what I thought this image meant yeah and it's also interesting, I find, when I have asked people um, about... Because I, I remember quite well, um, but then maybe that's because I'm why I'm doing this, but this kind of job, I remember quite well details from when I was a teenager where I bought things, yes. you know, how how tight they were and or, or how uncomfortable or comfortable. Mm. I, and then you ask other people and, and they you show them a photo of themselves and you say, so where, where did that come from? And say, I have no idea. Dun. Yeah, it's, I suppose it is because we're both obsessed. Yeah, I guess. And yeah. always have been. Mm. Yeah. Um, but no, it is, it is interesting what matters to people about mm. what they wore in the past. And as you say, it doesn't have to be people who are really obsessed with fashion. Mm. It, it's just what you thought I remember because I really like is what's the website called is it called it's called something like uh, exploring London's history or exploring 20th century London oh yeah 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 because that's that's the only way I know to access your oral histories I don't know if there's other ways um I think we're working on it yeah but that's pretty good you can search that can't mm. you because I've found really nice ones there was someone talking about her her time as a, I think, a secretary just just after the Second World War, and it was really interesting. Just just a tiny mention, but about buying stockings and that being wonderful to easily be able to get them. Mm. 
after the war. And I think you've got someone who maybe worked at Mary Quant or at Bieber as yeah. well on there. Mm, mm, might be. I, I must have quite a look. Yeah. No, I think there's quite a lot because I mm. used to teach a course on British fashion when I was first at the Courtauld. And we, we listened to about five or six because, you know, they're very short. Mm. And the good thing is I think there's a little transcript mm. as well, which makes it easier. And even just listening to that small number, it's really fascinating. Just even like because some people obviously work in the fashion industry, so they talk about it in one way and the whole story is about that. But other people, it's quite interesting when it just comes up as an aside. Yeah kind of where it fits into a bigger story for them mm, yeah no i must oh, you mu exploring 20th century london I, I um i am a bit worried that it might have been taken down it was it, it's such it was such a great website or hopefully it is hopefully it is still there. i think it's still there let me yeah, have a look i've got I my a lot ipad of, here i heard from a lot of people that they were using it for teaching um i think it's just called 20th century london.org.uk now mm. hang on yeah Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm it pleased. comes up exploring, and it's really, yeah, because I think it has about six, maybe different museums. Yes, it has. Yeah, it's quite a few museums together. Yeah, yeah. it's mm, the Museum mm, of London, mm, mm. London Transport Museum, Jewish Museum, and Museum of Croydon, and then it says there's seven more. There's kind of different phases of mm. the project, so probably they're all on here by now because this, I think, seems to be written. Yeah, it, it hasn't like been. It definitely. Yeah, it definitely hasn't been worked on for quite some time. But I'm pleased. No. To, pleased to hear that it's still up. I haven't looked at it for a yeah. while. Yeah. Mm. Oh no, I use it a lot because mm. it's it's just it's just so useful that you can sort by time and by date and by type of material that you want to find. And I def I always tell my students to look at it, particularly for the oral histories, because. It's quite, I mean, I know there's the National Sound Archive yes. that's part of the British Library, but then you have to actually go there and make the appointment and everything to listen. And I think it just gets people used to hearing the kind of things that are said in oral history interviews. So I think it's really useful. Yeah, and it, it, it like you say, it, 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 when we when we did the punk project in 2016, I think we interviewed 16 punks, former punks, um, or maybe some would still consider themselves punks. And <laughs> and punk for life. Bitch. Yeah, punk exactly. It's life. an attitude. Um, it is. But so I I only did one of them, and then we worked with students who did um, the majority of them, and then a colleague who Jen Cavana who organised the whole project. Um, but that really changed my view of punk. Oh, how interesting. Because it was the more unofficial story. Um, they in, in terms of, we did ask them about clothing quite a bit. That was sort of the main, main thing yeah. we wanted to find out. But uh, there were one or two who were going to Vivian Westwood buying stuff there. But the rest weren't. Um, and... They, they it would just have been too expensive for them and it was interesting how they talked about you know doing customizing things themselves and yeah. but also what I had heard about but hearing it from the actual person is so different is how much aggression there was and they had to deal with that how yes because now you know you could just walk around however you like I don't think anyone would even bat an eyelid um, yeah. but but then it just wasn't like that and 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 people were very aggressive towards them and not ne necessarily 
you know, skinheads or other subcultures that didn't like them, or teddy boys, I think they were more of a problem. Um, yeah. Just general people, just how... No, I mean, definitely, because Adrian was, was a really early on punk, and he always says about to be a punk then, it just meant you had tight trousers and short hair because mm. everyone had flares yes. and long hair and he got beaten up by teddy boys on the king's road God. Mm. um and it yeah it was so subtle to start with or it looks so subtle to us now mm. but it was it was just that act of difference was enough mm. of, of rejecting what the sort of standard style was i guess mm. and quite early on there were quite a few who talked about dyeing their hair black, which again doesn't seem yeah. such a big thing, <laughs> you know, not as opposed to dyeing it later on, I don't know, green or bleaching it um, yes. or having a mohawk. But that apparently again was enough. Um, well, I suppose it is like if you're, if it's such a conformity. Hello. Hi, Rebecca. I don't know what happened there. I don't know what happened there. I, I, I swear I didn't touch anything. <laughs> I don't think I did. I don't know. Maybe it was the spirit of punk. Yeah, I, that's probably it. That's probably You it. know, that the punkest thing to happen was for the conversation to be cut short. Yeah, voluntarily. yeah. Maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's also a sign that I should ask you what you've been up to. Well, I was kind of doing the opposite of being a punk mm -hmm. by going to Bonhams to look at quite fabulous jewellery oh how amazing i know oh my god beatrice <laughs> i don't know how we become multi-millionaires yeah. but if it means we can have jewels then i'd like it not really interested in much else but the jewels i'd like so what kind of kind of jewels like what kind of jewels? like bracelets well, and... bracelets earrings everything um let me first credit my wonderful beautiful friend Emily Barber, who is the head of Fine Jewelry at Bonhams, for letting me go mm -hmm. and for getting all these things out and for telling me about them because she's so wonderful and so knowledgeable. And, I mean, one of the things that was really striking about this sale was they had lots of amazing emeralds. And she said it was just like a coincidence of what happened to come in. Mm. But really off the chart, amazing. And like one, the thing that I most wanted, as you'll know from previous visits to these sales, the thing I always want is a Cartier Art Deco bracelet. Hmm. The workmanship, like talking to Emily, I've really come to understand and appreciate the the workmanship yeah. because apparently it was only sort of twentieth century that that they start being able to heat metal hot enough to work with platinum. Mm -hmm. And platinum, it's like they create. Like Cartier seemed brilliant at like creating these incredibly flat, delicate settings, mm. and this oh my god, this bracelet from about nineteen thirty. I'll send you pictures because it's just incredible, and it's gr obviously green emerald beads. So they're of it. They must be in. They're like I think it's like something like like Colombian, mm -hmm. I think, or Latin American. Anyway the emeralds themselves then i think they are they must have been made into beads like round beads mm -hmm. in india because india ten indian jewelers tended to make beads rather than faceted mm -hmm. oh yeah okay them. yeah mm. right so it's how many let me look at the picture so it's 
three strands of emeralds and the quality is amazing they're like really beautifully matched in terms of size and color Mm. and then it's got these um like settings in between of diamonds in like fountain shapes Mm -hmm. and so it's really interesting as a kind of hybrid object because there's like where the gemstones themselves originally came from then where the gems were actually worked on Mm. and then the setting so you have this really strong indian influence on the jewelry in that period Mm. and then even the like fountain settings are really looking at like maharaja jewelry and apparently these were really like europeans really loved these indian reference points in the design and in the the kind of cut of the jewels but then the kind of rich maharajas would come to europe and enjoy seeing indian stones like indian heritage stones and indian designs being incorporated into european style so it's this sort of interesting cross fertilization and even within the customers of these jewels there's this kind of appreciation of the two cultures being set Mm. together in this way Mm. and this went for over 300,000 (laughs) pounds okay and I had it on my wrist on Monday morning wow wow I wonder when you know I wouldn't okay you can just wear it at home you know while you're doing whatever you do at home which I would do I would wear it just every day I guess because I I was just gonna say when when you know I wouldn't even have an occasion to wear something like oh, this. Oh, neither would I ever. Mm, mm. But I think you just have to think of it as like because I asked I asked Emily um, with several of the the really spectacular well they're all spectacular but they're ultra spectacular things when you know how much did the wearer the owner wear them and she said not that much and I suppose it is like for many people they'd be kept in a safe or a mm. bank vault and yes. just brought out on grand occasions but i feel that you know the route to take would be the liz taylor wear it every day wear it in the pool wear it with your moo yeah relaxing at home with friends lady route. delamere she was famous for wearing all her jewels in the pool apparently as well i just love it i love that picture well actually it's a very both of us picture is it helmet newton that picture of liz taylor in a pool with her jewels and a parrot do you know the one I mean? No, I don't know the one. There oh is... my God, I have to find it because it, <laughs> it's kind of got everything both of us like in it. There's also a really good run of Princess Margaret in the bathtub with the tiara. Oh, that's good, yes. <laughs> but then I love Liz more. Hmm. Liz is my girl. Were there um, any earrings? I'm feeling that you want some earrings. Yes. Mm. Yeah, there were. I didn't look at them in quite such detail, mm-hmm. but there were some amazing ones actually with... Um, with a with a a carved emerald because that's another thing that um indian jewelers did is they carved them so they're they're like teardrop shape mm-hmm. but then they've got grooves running around them so there's like a diamond drop setting and then this amazing you know sort of i don't know two centimeter two and a half centimeter emerald at the bottom wow I can see you in that. <laughs> so did you might not know this, but did did quite a lot come from one particular person or? or... I think it was quite varied. I mm. think some of the most spectacular ones were from one person. Mm. Um, 
but there were there were also which I find really interesting um these ones that um that apparently um are called like archaeological ones I'm just trying to find the picture in the catalog so I can get the name right of the jeweler yeah archaeological revival there was this really beautiful like Amersmith Amersmith am I saying that amethyst that's what I'm oh, trying yeah. to say amethyst um bead and gold necklace that looks really 1970s but is from about 1865 and it's got like the amethysts and integrated with with gold beads and then it's got gold um like coin shaped um ah yeah yeah amazing and it's by this castellani this um and it's inspired by etruscan Jewels. Yes, we have some of that. We actually have a really good jewelry collection at the museum, um, oh. which I hope in the new museum we will will show more of. And yeah, we have some of this. I I, I now that you say that, I've come across that before the archaeological revival. Yeah, because mm. it, it it's like there was that one, and there was a lovely one which was enamel and gems that was like Renaissance. That was Giuliani, Giuliano. Yes. Mm. That was a Piccadilly jewelers and it's really interesting because you can completely see the um renaissance reference points but it's very fine you know it's, it's very much of its time like late 1880s and it's sort of interesting again that it's from a london jeweler but you know the range of influences that are being used and they always those renaissance ones always made me think of madame watessier and her mm. great big renaissance style jewelry yeah that's true mm. yeah and and I, and I also another one I particularly <laughs> wanted was a yellow sapphire just like a single yellow sapphire that was really rather beautiful oh. I just thought yeah I'd wear that again well, all the time well I hope they're still online and I'll I'll have a look. Yes, well, I'll send you some pictures I took and also videos of me kind of... <laughs> a couple of the videos I just had to delete because I was so excited <laughs> that they were just shaky things of me kind of, you know, in great excitement as I was looking at this. Um, because, oh, my God, just... I There must be some, like, human-embedded response to sparkle, I think. Mm. Yeah. Or maybe it just some people have that response. Maybe mm. you have the magpie gene yeah. that just sparkly things because just seeing these things in real life is so incredible. Just the clarity, the depth of colour, the different cuts is... Yes, you can see I'm gushing. Now you understand <laughs> why my videos don't always come out because I love them so much and I get so excited. But it, and like... Emily's very good at just coping with me saying, oh my God... <laughs> But like you say, it also shows, you know, how much it makes such a difference to know a bit about. about... It really does. No, it's mm. like amazing hearing um, Emily talk about them and, and give you that sense of context. And also, as I say, I, I really find it interesting just of how international they are. And also going back to what you were saying about families, how like really high quality jewels get continually remade mm. into new settings with different generations and you know there was an amazing 18th century hair ornament all diamond on tromblant which you know is one of oh, my favorite things mm. in the world which had been a hairpin which obviously you know in the 20th century or even late 19th century you wouldn't have enough hair stiff enough yeah. to hold it so it's been made into a clip 
bridge and you know like a bracelet that then a sort of double has been made of it so you can wear it as a necklace and, and that yeah, I kind love... of sense of adaptability I think is really interesting and and the way that the jewels have one history and the jewelry has another it I love that we have we have a few items that you can make you know bracelets can be made mm. into a bigger necklace and um and sometimes it's quite hard for me at least to figure out how they actually work together yes but i think that's such an amazing no I, I not at this sub but another one i went to um at bonhams it was really amazing there was a tiara that was gold and diamond and very trembly and lovely and then you could take it off and i think there were definitely two two um brooches and i think then you wore the rest as a necklace but it's really fascinating how adaptable they are because they seem like the ultimate kind of unpractical impractical thing don't yes they? And, and it's yet... a total conspicuous consumption thing <laughs> exactly. but then but then you're still a little bit economic economical with them yes because you yeah can... well i suppose it's like the way in the past people kept remaking clothes and kept remaking textiles mm. because that was like your biggest family investment was the clothing mm. that you just keep using them and keep using them through the centuries and it, and it's really fascinating how things travel and how they have these really deep amazing histories mm. um, some of it of of course not entirely good histories no um, well that's the other thing there's mm. like where did they come from how was this mind mm. um yeah no it's it's very much a tale of sort of capitalism yes. and a tale of of as you say sort of extravagance and wealth but also of kind of art and aesthetics yes um no i it was really rather wonderful i always really like the anne of denmark approach to jewelry you know she what's that the, just I'll, I'll again i'll send you some pictures she yeah. just piled it on she had like three <laughs> hair ornaments and then something just around. do it just yeah just it. quite a lot of things on her clothes that's the other interesting thing of that period you know you how much you actually pin to your clothes yeah it's, um but I mean, the it's, hair isn't ornament that what pin money comes from uh, of, i don't like because even pins being worth money yeah, because maybe. of the metals that they were mm. falling off and people would make little bits of money by picking them up. Ah, I didn't I know that. that. Mm, maybe. That, uh, might, that may or may not be true. Yeah, it, it would be a good invention if you had invented it. I'll check, we'll check that out. Check, we'll check that, that out. out. And it's also funny because you and I are so minimal in our use of jewellery. Well, I normally don't we wear, wear any. Mm. Well, that's what I mean. Like, you mm. maybe have a bracelet sometimes. Yeah. And I, I tend to just have it in one area. If, you know, like, I like a bit of sparkle, but just in one area. And yet we love all mm. this sparkle. Mm. We yes. like we like to be spectators to sparkle. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we like. Yeah. That's mm. a good note to end on. It is. Yeah. It is. That's us defined. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll see you, you at the conference. Yes, I'll see you on Saturday yeah. for passing yes. in American cities. Yes. Fabulous. Okay. See you then. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.